I now turn to this evening's scripture lesson as we prepare to consider the topic of sanctification. I turn to Romans chapter 6, which speaks much of that doctrine. So this is God's holy word as the Apostle Paul was inspired to write to the Romans, to the, the Christians in the city of Rome. So here we read God's inspired and therefore inerrant word, Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, just, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now sends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time. Well, let's briefly pray. Lord, we do pray that as we consider your word this evening and a few other passages from it, as we consider this topic of sanctification, 
that you would use this preaching indeed to sanctify us, that we might be growing in our knowledge of Christ, and through that, in our service to him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so far in this sermon series here in the evenings, we've covered what the Westminster Confession of Faith has to say, how it summarizes uh, certain parts of the Bible, really it summarizes what the Bible teaches about the holiness of God versus the sinfulness of humankind and of God's plan of salvation of a people for himself from out of a fallen world, which he carries out uh, through eternal election and then the atoning mediation of Jesus Christ and by which we are effectually called and justified and adopted as God's children and co-heirs with Jesus Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit in changing our hearts. All of these things are free gifts from God. This is all under the umbrella of God's grace. And they depend on no decision or on any works on our part. The Lord has no need of our cooperation in these things. So we recognize that we are justified, we're counted righteous before God, by God's grace alone, working through faith alone, and that all these other things, like our adoption, our our immediate sanctification, come uh, with those things, our effectual calling, all by God's grace. There's no, no activity of our own that participates in that, or that adds to that, or that we have to do ahead of time before God will justify and effectually call and adopt us. All of these things are a gift from God. Even the faith by which we cling to Christ is a gift from God. And so we are not saved by our own good works. Now some people will then accuse us of saying, well then you are saying that works have no place in the life of the Christian. And that's not what we say at all. Think about what what Paul said here in this reading tonight. What shall we say then at the beginning of Romans 6? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So there are some people who have taught, and we see this very early on in the letters of the apostles, particularly Paul and John, dealing with people who were teaching something that we would now call antinomianism or libertinism. Antinomian is just from the Greek for against the law. And there was a virgin, version of, uh, of, of antinomianism that basically said that if you want to prove that you trust that you're saved by grace and not by your own works, do all kinds of sinful works and show that you are trusting in grace and not your own goodness to be saved. And Paul says to that, should we sin all the more that grace may abound? It's translated here in the the New King James Version, he says, certainly not. It's the Greek term that means let it not be, and it's very emphatic. Some translations will say God forbid. It doesn't actually say God in that particular uh, phrase there. Uh, but it's a, a very strong exclamation that says, absolutely, by, by no means should this ever be the case. No one should think like that. You think that God saved you from your sins so that you could sin more? That's nonsense. So 
we recognize that we are not saved by our own works, but that we have works that are produced by our saving faith. And they are, they are in fact, also by the grace of God. They're gifts of God. True saving faith will always result in good works. The brother of Jesus, James, tells us that our faith is dead if it doesn't produce any works. In other words, it's not real saving faith. And sometimes people will try to pit James against the Apostle Paul, where Paul says it's not by faith but by works. And, and here James seems to be saying it's faith plus works, but he's not saying that we're justified, we're, we're saved in the first place by faith plus works, just that the faith by which we're justified will automatically produce good works. And that's the exact same thing that Paul says. True saving faith will always result in works that are good, not by man's definition, but by God's definition. And you might think, well, then Jesus, of course, said you would know his disciples by the fruits they bear. Uh, but sometimes I see, you know, an atheist who does nice things for people, things that are objectively good according to God's word. And there we might say, of course, that's what we would call God, God's common grace. He, he keeps even those who are hard in heart from being as bad as they could be, and so sometimes they're nice, you know. Uh, even Hitler was nice to dogs. Um, <clears throat> but if it rains, the grass is going to be wet. But it doesn't automatically mean that if the grass is wet, that it rained. There are other ways that the grass can get wet. So sometimes we might see things that look like good works to us and they're not produced by saving faith. So you have to see if the fruits are consistent. There are fruits of repentance and of righteousness. When somebody professes faith in Christ and yet that faith doesn't seem to produce any change, any growth in righteousness in them, well then you need to be skeptical about their claim to have faith in Christ. But if somebody has genuine faith, just as surely as the grass will be wet if it rains, they will have good works produced by their saving faith. If you have saving faith, which alone justifies, you will also be sanctified. The same grace of God that justified you will sanctify you. And that is something while all those other things we mentioned, your effectual call and your, your justification and your adoption by God as one of his children have nothing to do with any work you've done. God didn't wait to see if you would be a nice person before he called you into his kingdom. In fact, in Romans 9, uh, Paul gives the example of Jacob and Esau, who are, God said he chose Jacob over Esau even before they were born and they hadn't done any works. And if you read the account of their earlier life, you would think that of the two of them, Esau was maybe a little less bad than Jacob. So why didn't God choose him? But God chose Jacob. Jacob, who in his early life did some pretty rotten things. But God molded and shaped him. The same grace of God which justifies us and creates faith in us also sanctifies us. And a sanctification, literally sanctification means being made holy. Uh, there are at least two aspects of it. One is, is a, an immediate aspect. To, to be holy means to be set apart. Set apart from the common 
from the profane, from the unclean, and set apart unto God. So uh, we can talk about an immediate sanctification that happens simultaneously with justification, with being effectually called. That's when God sets the individual whom he has elected for salvation apart from the rest of the world. So the destiny of the rest of the world, which is to receive God's wrath, is not going to come upon you. This is uh, what Paul says in in Colossians chapter 1, that those who are in Christ have been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. So uh, that's an immediate sanctification. You've been grabbed, you've been picked up from where you are and put in another place. You've been set apart. But more often when we talk about sanctification, we're talking about what we call progressive sanctification. That's being made more holy, more righteous over time. You're set apart by the works that are produced in you. You're seen to be more like God, more like Christ over time. And this actually does involve your will and your cooperation. Now, you've been given a new will by God if you are in Christ, uh, and that will will cooperate now with the Holy Spirit. And so you'll make decisions. And more and more, by the grace of God, your decisions are good decisions, morally good decisions, not just wise decisions in an earthly sense. So we say that we are saved through faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. Saving faith will always produce good works. It will be accompanied by progressive sanctification. If you want to know whether you are truly saved, examine yourself and see if you are loving the righteous things that God speaks of in Scripture more and more if you're more and more doing those things, loving the things God loves and hating the things God hates, if you're uh, more and more hating the sin within yourself, which is still present, true saving faith will always be accompanied by a change of the individual's thoughts and words and attitudes. And it's it's not something that happens overnight. It's progressive. This will happen continually. And sometimes there might even be periods of what we call backsliding, where someone slides back into thinking or acting in a worldly fashion. But those who are truly saved will always come back and always end up progressing over time in sanctification. So you'll be made more and more like Jesus, who is the example of perfect righteousness for us. This is the the work of God's Spirit in the heart of the believer. You couldn't do it without the Holy Spirit but it also does involve your will and your choices. Their confession states this, They who are effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them, are further sanctified. Notice they say further sanctified, so they're assuming the immediate sanctification. You're already set apart from the world, but then you're further sanctified, you're further made holy in an outward sense. They say really and personally, so they're further sanctified really and personally through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection, By his word and spirit dwelling in them, the dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed. We read about that just here in Romans 6, how uh, we've died to sin in a sense. And so, though we still have some indwelling sin with us, that nature is dead. We're able to overpower it. 
So the whole dominion, the dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, and the several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified. So they're there, but they're weakened and mortified. They're put to death. And they more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving grace. So quickened is made alive. To the practice of true holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. You can't see the Lord without true holiness, the scriptures say. And God will take those whom he has elected and make them truly holy. Be holy, for I am holy, the Lord said to Israel. For the sake of Christ alone, whom you received in faith alone, the Lord declares you to be righteous, so that's justification. And then he begins making you outwardly righteous more and more over time in your thoughts, in your words, in your deeds. So when regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we receive this new nature. And this new nature is not under the domination of sin. Yes, there's still some sin present. It's going to make you stumble, but it doesn't dominate you anymore. Before you were in Christ, you couldn't help but sin. And now you have a choice. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Ezekiel 36, verse 26, God says he will remove the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh, a soft, pliable heart. That's what happens at the time of the effectual call and justification. At the time of regeneration, the new birth. The old nature is destroyed, it's overcome, it's killed, and it's being put to death. As we see here again, Romans 6, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, with Jesus, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Before that, Paul said that we're buried with him symbolically in baptism, we're united to Christ's death, and that he rose again from the dead. So that has two, two aspects of effect for us. One is that we now are empowered to walk in newness of life, just as he has new life in his resurrection, and also then we can be sure that we will rise to new life, just as he did in the world to come. The old nature is destroyed, it's overcome, it's it's put to death. Because sin is no longer the basic nature of the Christian, yes, your old dead self is still with you, and we'll get to that here in a bit, but it's no longer your basic and dominating nature, you're able then to have victory over sin. Again, when we're in our sins, we can't help but be dominated by sin. Now we can help it. Romans 6, verses 11 and 12, as we read earlier. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lust. Notice there's a choice there. You can let it rain or not let it rain. Before you were saved, you couldn't help but let it rain. Now, you can decide whether it rains or not, as it were. And Paul says, if you want to show yourself to be in Christ and, and assure yourself that you are and assure others, well... Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. So John can say in 1 John 3, 6-9, No one who is in Christ keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. 
Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous, as Christ is. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Uh, I purposely read the ESV translation there, so I think it gets at the the Greek a little better. Uh, So don't get discouraged. In context, we see that John's talking uh, not about stumbling in sin. You know, someone keeps on sinning. Well, I sinned yesterday, and I sinned today, and I can't, so I keep on sinning. He's talking about uh, being in a particular sin and keeping up with it, not repenting of it. An ongoing conscious decision to continue unrepentantly in a sinful practice. But this is why so many denominations have been torn apart. Because one who consciously refuses to repent of an ongoing sin cannot be a godly person, as John says here, and should certainly not be put in a position of authority in the church, and yet there are so many churches that have apostatized. They've left the gospel behind, and they've left all righteousness behind by ordaining people who are living openly in lives of sin to office and churches. But again, this is in reference to ongoing sin, a lifestyle of intentional sinful practice in defiance of God. The believer still has a dead sin nature with us. We still have indwelling sin. It's just that 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 nature has been crucified, as it were, with Christ. And so we've died to sin in a sense. But we still have that old dead self attached to us. More accurately, it's like a dead weight strapped to your back, if you will. So, you know, if you're carrying around a dead body, you're going to stumble once in a while. This is what Paul calls this body of death in the very next chapter here in Romans, Romans 7. Our old nature drags us down. It will pull you back into sinful practices on occasion. As you're struggling to move on toward God's kingdom, you're going to stumble. So don't be discouraged by that. The confession puts it like this. This sanctification is throughout in the whole man. So it it affects all of you, just as sin affects all of you, right? It says, yet imperfect in this life. There abideth still some remnants of corruption in every part, which ariseth, whence ariseth a continual and irreconcilable war the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So now you've got your new nature and your old dead nature and they're kind of at war with each other within you. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. And one way in which that, that sword is active, that conflict is active, is within the heart of every believer. A sinner can be perfectly at peace with himself, but a forgiven sinner has a war going on within him. His new nature and his old nature. You were not called into a life of ease if you were called into Christ's kingdom. You were called into a life of warfare, and that warfare is going to take place, yes, with the world and the flesh and the devil, that the flesh is one of those things. It's going it, to your own nature, your own old self, you're going to have a war with. So in every area of your life, in every aspect of your being, 
You have been renewed. But at the same time, sin has left its mark, its taint on every aspect of your being as well, on your mind, on your actions, your body. And so your life now is characterized by an internal battle going on. In Romans 7, Paul thoroughly discusses how difficult and confusing and frustrating this can be. Just to read one verse here, in verse 19, he says, For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. So he finds himself wanting to do good, and that's a big difference. Before you're saved, before you're regenerate, you don't really even want that good. And now you want to be obedient to God, you want to do those things, and you find yourself still doing the things that you now hate. Now he's not talking about an ongoing lifestyle of sin again, but that he stumbles daily. He continues in verses 22 and 23 of chapter 7, where he says, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. One Reformed study aid some years ago I saw said this, The believer must continually wage war against the law of sin that abides within him. This is part of your sanctification. This law of sin, however, can be conquered and subdued through Christ because it is not an actual part of the believer's own nature. It's not part of your new self, the the new creation that Christ has made, but is now an outside force at war against him. Outside, at least, of the new self, though it's still, as Paul says, in your members. It's still in you, but just not the new you. The Christian has victory over sin by claiming Christ's righteousness through faith. And so the confession also says, In which war, although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail, so you might have times, as I said, you might even seem to backslide and seem to act like your old sinful self for maybe a significant amount of time. So it may seem to much prevail, I say, yet... Through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part doth overcome, and so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Coming more and more to that state of holiness as Christ is in, to perfect righteousness, and eventually in the world to come, you will reach that state of perfect righteousness. 1 John 2.1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 1 Corinthians 10.13, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So when you're tempted to sin, flee to Christ. And he will empower you to overcome it more and more. You, Christian, are empowered by your Savior to walk in victory over sin as surely as he rose from the dead. You've been set apart by God. You've been sealed as his own. You're not uh, counted among the world that he's going to destroy in his wrath, but you're counted as something else. You're apart from it. You're holy. The Holy Spirit has made you a new creation. Indeed, he's made his home in you. 
And you have this new living nature that's at war with your old dead nature now. But Christ has already won the victory. You don't have to overcome that nature in your own strength. Jesus already overcame it. So flee to him, and he will give you success over it in your conflict. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you have already defeated sin in Christ Jesus, and that your Holy Spirit empowers us daily to overcome the sin that is remaining. We pray that you would cause us to walk in newness of life and in victory over sin in the power of Christ's resurrection. We pray that you would overcome it in our lives, that we might more and more reflect the perfect nature of Christ in righteousness and in holiness, that we might ourselves know that we are truly his disciples and that the world might see and glorify you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.